Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with the founder of Sands Bar, an alcohol-free bar based in Austin, Texas. Let's welcome to the show, Chris Marshall. Thanks for coming on with me, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me back on, Jonathan. Absolutely. So I'd like for you to share with us all about Sands Bar and what you're doing these days during the pandemic. Um, but first, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on before you got sober and how you actually found your way into recovery? Yeah. Um, so I started drinking when I was 16. And uh, a big part of the reason why I started drinking in the first place was because I really wanted to connect with my friends. Um, I had pretty much made a pledge not to drink until I was about 18. Um, and then I just saw my friends drinking and kind of fell into that social pressure and I wanted to fit in, so I started drinking. And uh, very quickly into my drinking career, I realized that I was not handling or processing alcohol the same way other people were. And I, I was almost instantly self-medicating anxiety and depression. And so okay. uh, for me, uh, I didn't drink a long time because I drank so intensely. It's like a fire that burns really rapidly. Um, and I, I made it through some college before my drinking just took over everything, um, quit school, uh, went to rehab a few times, and then I got sober at 23. And uh, getting sober at 23 put me in a really weird place because I was still developing as a young person. Yeah. And I just, I thought my life was over, man. The second I got sober, I was like, hey, this is a trade-off. Like, I get to live, but my life's going to suck now. Wow. And uh, I was just prepared for that. I was prepared for a life that just was not fun, didn't have any enjoyment, didn't have any fulfillment in it. I was just ready to just exist for the next, you know, 30 or 40 years. Wow. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the, the short version of how I got sober was just, I found that I could not continue to drink alcohol. And most importantly, the thing that I wanted most was connect, to connect with people. And I couldn't do that when I was drinking. So that was another big reason why I stopped. I wasn't even able to socialize the way I wanted to. Wow. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to that. I want to rewind to the first thing you said. Uh, I don't think I asked you this the last time we spoke. You said that you had basically made a pledge not to drink until you were 18. So did you already have an idea that maybe this wouldn't turn out too well when you started drinking? Like, what, what was the pledge all about? Well, I mean, it was something that I came up with for myself. Like, at, okay. like I said, you know, this was when I was, what, maybe 14, okay. 13, maybe. Sure. I was like, I'm not going to drink until I'm an adult. Okay. 18. <laughs> so okay. I'm 18. 
yeah, because yeah. I just believed that it was, I knew how serious it was. I had seen um, it ruin and, and kind of hurt other people. And so I knew that alcohol, I knew what it was. It wasn't a surprise to me that alcohol had this ability to destroy. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of the reason is that, you know what, I think I need to wait until I'm 18. Of course, at 13, you think 18 is like a grown person. Right. Um, yeah. Little little did I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. But, but yeah. you know, at that time, I was like, this is, I'm going to do this because I think at 18, I can make a decision to not drink or to choose to drink or not. And uh, that went out the window as soon as I saw my friends drinking. Wow. And I saw them having a good time. And I saw that that was kind of the, the currency in high school was drinking. And I was like, oh, man, like, oh, well, you know, like, if For this sure. is what I have to give up, then that's a small sacrifice. I want to belong to these people so badly. Yeah, well, and we'll talk a little bit more about connection here in a minute, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but so what happened? So you, you said you got sober at 23. Uh, did you end up going to treatment or, or what exactly did that look like? Yeah. So, uh, I was in a fraternity. I was going to school in San Antonio. I was in a fraternity and even my fraternity brothers were like, you're drinking way too much, man. Like this is, yes, we're drinking all day, floating the river and drinking all night, but you're drinking in the morning. Like you're drinking the empties after a party. Like this is not you know, like, and they, I mean, and I have to say that for, for being in that culture at that time, mm-hmm. that was ex- in- exceedingly insightful for some of them to like, hey, you have a problem. Wow. You are not drinking like the rest of us. And they were drinking just as much and they were maybe even engaging in other substances, right? Yeah. Which I wasn't even engaging in that part. Um, all but the they time. could see you had a problem. Like oh no! Like look, yeah. we may be snorting coke. Right, you, right. Uh, you, you got you got a problem. Yeah, you're the one with the problem. And it was, yeah. And and I and I knew that they were right. Like yeah. I, again, I knew from the I knew from the start that alcohol and I were not meant to be together. I knew that. I knew that from the second time I drank and I got a DUI and I flipped my mom's car through an intersection. The second time I drank ever in life. I knew that I did not handle alcohol the same way that other people did. And so it was just all these, these kind of signals pointing me in this like singular direction that your life is not going to include alcohol. In it. And, and I just spent, you know, that five or six years of my life accepting that truth because I knew it from the start. Yeah. So you, you go to treatment and, uh, I, I think like we spoke before you got involved in a 12 step program. And then I think you yeah. went back and you actually, uh, I know that a big part of your recovery is you went back and you actually worked at the treatment center that you, is it the same treatment center that you went through or I can't recall? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, when I got sober at 23, so I went to the right step. We talked about the right, right, step last right, right. Time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I checked myself out of the right step and I went, you know, I bounced graduated. around. You graduated. Yeah. Grad- yeah, graduated. <laughs> um, but what I eventually ended up doing was um, the last place I went to was West Oaks Hospital in Houston. Right, right. And okay. that was much more mental health focused. Sure. And that was the first time I ever told, someone ever told me like, 
you're self-medicating. That's what this is. Mm. Um, and, and I didn't, and for some reason that just stuck that message, just like, Oh, wait a second. I am self-medicating because I've been dealing with anxiety and social anxiety before I ever had a drop of alcohol. And it made so much sense why there was such a wildfire in my life around alcohol, because it was the thing I thought that would put the anxiety out, but I didn't know it was gasoline. Yeah. So like, yeah. like I thought it was going to put the fire out to so just keep throwing this gasoline on it, hoping that it's going to like make it better. It is making it worse. And I don't know what else to do. So I keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time I heard that. Um, and, and the special thing that happened there was that I had a group of people um, on this alumni group at West okay. Oaks. Yeah. And they invited me out every single Friday and they said, Hey, we want you to come out. We want you to feel a part of this thing. And I don't think if I had that, I would be where I'm at today. Hmm. I really think that something about having that in my first year of sobriety, where people were insistent that I create community, insistent that I belong somewhere, and I feel like I belong somewhere. I think that set up a whole other trajectory I had in my life because that became how I understood sobriety. So I see sobriety through that lens of community and connection more than anything else. Yeah, no, I I love that, man. I had a a similar experience. I I think, in fact, I know that, uh, you know, going through the right stuff, like their alumni, for instance, the treatment center I went through, you know, getting involved, there wasn't even an alumni, you know, I I was involved in kind of getting that uh, started and everything. But I think some people might equate it to, you know, this type of connection to being involved in a home group or something like that, which I was doing as well. But I think you're right. Like one thing that really changed for me, there were people that I would see at meetings and stuff, and that was really cool. But then there were people that I would go out and actually do stuff with. Mm -hmm. And I know, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at, you know, it's like actually taking some of these connections outside of, uh, you know, outside of directly like whatever the recovery program is that you're uh, involved in. And, And even if it's just going to eat or, something like that. I mean, you get to like actually have real, you know, relationships and and other conversations with these people too, which I, which I think is so cool. So we're talking so much about connection and and I know that that's a a big part of really how the sands bar got started. So how did all of this start? I mean, you've gotten a ton of recognition, um, you know, from uh, major news outlets and, and shows and, Man, there's just been so much cool. Even in the time that I know, I've known you, there's been so much cool stuff going on. You guys did like a a nationwide pop up tour. How did this get started, and and who is Sandsbar really for? Hmm. I mean, how this got started and where it's at today has nothing to do with Chris. I mean, it has absolutely. I could not have planned imagined i get contacted from people all the time who have been established in business and they're like who is your media person who are you can we get a copy of your press release because we want to understand how you're getting all this press and honestly i don't know it's just the universe like i literally do nothing i don't send out a single press release i've never sent out a press release um if media contacts me that's it (laughs) like seriously um 
I think that that's the case because this is about community and this is a community built thing. I, I, I may be the face of it. I may have had the initial idea, but this has really been an organic process that has come together because people have, um, have walked alongside me, not even behind me, but alongside me to build this idea that you can have a safe, sober, and inclusive environment without alcohol. And that is the product. The product isn't the drink. The product isn't the, the music or the speakers that we offer. It's not even the great food that we offer. Uh, it really is about creating those connections. And I think that is what makes Sandsbar, the brand, very unique because there's very few products on the market or services on the market that focus exclusively on developing community as a business model. Mm, that's really awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, and I think the fact that you never put out, you know, you're, you're not, not to say you're not promoting it, but you're not putting out like press releases. You don't have some, you know, big media organization behind you, you know, just pumping stuff out there. I mean, I think that that really says to me that there is, there is this connection uh, that, that's being offered, um, but also that there's such a, a need for this. So prior to, because things are different now, obviously, and I'm sure you guys have been closed down for a while, like, like most businesses have, but let's rewind prior to COVID-19. I mean, what would I expect if I'm walking in uh, to Sands Bar one night? Man, that, that seems like a lifetime ago. I mean, I'm, I'm taking you back, like, man. Taking you back. Even It feels like you're talking about the 90s or something. Like, <laughs> it feels so far removed from like where we are today. Yeah. Um, actually, I went, I went up to the bar yesterday to just, just kind of look at things and start to look at how we can reopen, okay. um, which I think we'll, we'll probably look at next month, if not July. Like we're, I'm serious about the safety thing. But anyways, yeah. uh, when you walk into Sands Bar, I think the first thing that you notice is that it is a bar because it's on a row of bars, like usually very bustling, busy, loud, noisy bars. And then there's this corner lot with this beautiful door, red door, and then this all this patio space. And you're just like, this is the biggest, because it is the biggest spot on the on that corner. Like this has to be the best bar. And so you walk in, and I think the energy is just different. Hmm. And when people walk into Sands Bar, even if they've been, you know, enjoying a few alcoholic beverages and they're intoxicated, they'll walk in and they'll just kind of like, this something is what what's going on here? Usually that's the, the first thing someone says is what is going on here? Because even if they're intoxicated, they can sense that it is that there's something special. I mean, I it it gives me chills every time because I've never met one person to walk in the sands bar, not one. And and they've had a negative response to what this is. I get what you're they saying. They may be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not walking in like, oh, this is whack. They're walking in like, man, tell me, tell me what's going on here. Like, tell me more about this. Where am I? Right. <laughs> like, where am I? Right. And so I think that's the first thing people notice is that this whole idea that it feels different. And even when people are disappointed, some people will make it all the way to the bar and they'll order a drink and they'll be like, wait a second, there's no alcohol. Um, even then they're like, okay, that's not what I was looking for, but they're never mad about it. They're yeah. always like, oh, well, you know what? I'll stay for a drink. And people stay and have 
tons of they sober up basically you know yeah. um and so i think that's the first thing you notice the second thing you notice is that everything in that environment has been engineered for connection and what i mean by that is that um the lighting is not too dark it's not a you know dark nightclub where you can't see your hand in front of your face right um it's softly lit uh the music is never above a certain decibel so that it people can really hear each other um i do like the idea of there being music playing and i think it kind of breaks a little bit of the tension for sure but i never want to to distract and so i always tell musicians if you're gonna play here i'm gonna um, pay you but you have to play as an addition to the atmosphere not as the main attraction mm. and if you're not cool with that there's another stage you can play on and the people plenty of people said like i like to be seen and i'm like I, it's not that you know we don't want you to be seen it's that the most important thing here, more important than you or me or my bartenders or anything else, is right. that people that need to connect, connect. And everything takes second place to that goal. That is the goal of the night, is that everyone uh, finds something to celebrate and finds connection in those uh, nights that were open. Wow, I, I love that. Yeah, it, so I know that there, obviously there's a need for, for something like this, right? I think there's a need, uh, just like you and I spoke about before a little bit, like there's really not a lot of places for people in recovery to go necessarily besides maybe some recovery meetings or something like that. But I think that, that also, like you've said, this is a place for people, whether they're in recovery or not, um, and, and they can just come in and like, if you're in recovery, cool, welcome. If you're not cool, welcome, you know, and everyone can kind of be in this, you know, this safe, uh, environment together and, and really connect. But I think from a, you know, from a business standpoint, there's been this big shift more recently. Right. And, um, and I don't know if you can really talk about, I know you had some kind of secret, uh, projects going on a, a while back, but. Um, you know, there are, that's true. Yeah, there, there are more. So I don't know if you can talk about those quite yet. But um, I know there are more alcohol companies that are looking at non alcoholic beverages and, and different things like that. So I don't know, it seems like this is all good timing, too, right? You know what is great timing? Um, you know, prior to this COVID-19, we were seeing alcohol sales dramatically, dramatically declining in the United States. Yeah. I mean, they were in free fall. And liquor companies have been, and I think still probably will be, looking for ways to diversify their portfolio. And so a lot of them are, are investing in non-alcoholic uh, spirits. Um, there's a couple on the market that are really interesting products, uh, non-alcoholic beers and wines. Uh, they're really trying to figure out how to make this, how to bridge this gap between uh, people who drink and people who know better. <laughs> like you're trying to figure out like, how do you, how do we, you know, make it so that we can reach all these people and, and still retain a lot of our old customers. Right. Um, and that's where I think Sandspar is special is that we really look at the entire spectrum of kind of your relationship with alcohol. We, I am in recovery. I have no problem saying I'm in recovery. I have no problem saying that I'm sober. Um, sober is not a dirty word. Um, but we also have people who 
come in and they are sober curious or they may still be drinkers. Many times we've had people come in and they will stop at Sam's bar to meet their friends for the night, have some zero proof cocktails, which is what we call our mocktails, and then go out and drink with their friends. And that is a-okay with us, right? The idea, because the idea is not that we're on some crusade to strike everyone sober. That's not, that's not what I wanna do. I live my own personal core beliefs around alcohol, and I encourage everyone to know theirs and live theirs to the fullest. That, that's it. And so I, I, I think we serve everyone. Mm. I really do. That's awesome. So, well, you just mentioned, you know, we can't talk about what you've been up to or what's going on with Sands Bar without talking about, you know, COVID-19 and, and this quarantine uh, that we've all been under. And, um, and look, man, I personally, I think it's smart that you guys are, are being super safe with this. And, um, you know, even though here in Texas, like we're kind of opening up a little quicker than everyone else. And I think things are, you know, things are a little different here than they are in other parts of the country. I think we do have to take that into account, but all that being said, we are where we are. Um, I think that we, uh, it is a crazy thing. I guess I hadn't thought about this much until you just said it. Like, unfortunately this was like the thing that alcohol companies were just waiting for you know it was like their sales were in free fall they were having to look at, at you know ways to you know get their customers back that weren't drinking as much whether they're sober or not i think a lot of people are just realizing they don't like drinking as much as they used to um and you know we're hearing about just so many people struggling, drinking a lot more, um, you know, during the quarantine, um, you know, overdoses, all kinds of stuff. What, why do you think people are drinking more during the quarantine? Like, why do you think that is? Well, first of all, I think people are drinking more because it is the quickest, easiest way to change the way you feel. And I think that we are so used to changing the way we feel, uh, that we just go for, we grab the closest thing. Uh, and then I think it was a lot of brilliant marketing, frankly. Okay. I think all these uh, liquor companies got, got with bar and restaurants and said, okay, making alcohol to go, which has been a very hard thing to implement, let's use a, let's use a pandemic as an opportunity to make that a normal thing. Yeah. To make that a normal thing, and, and then let's hide under the guise of, well, we are an essential service because alcoholics uh, couldn't survive without liquor stores or getting a margarita to go at, you know, a Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but when I was near the end, I wasn't thinking about the $20 margarita, you know, at a Mexican restaurant. No. You know, I was, I was drinking mouthwash and uh, anything else I could, you know. Like, I just, like, it, it, like, it's absurd that they used this idea of them being essential or this service being necessary for restaurants who serve alcohol to go. Right. Um, all in an attempt to make them, to, to rivet themselves to this crisis and to help people get through a tough situation. Um, I think it's irresponsible. I think as an industry, they're going to get a, a big backlash because, like you said, uh, not just here in Texas, but in, you know, most of the state's people are returning back to life and they're going to fit, find out that the way that they were coping with alcohol uh, is insufficient. So to answer your question, I think we're drinking more because we don't know what else to do. We don't have 
any other tools to cope with it. And I think it's going to be, create a real problem uh, once we have to return back to, to normal life. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, it is really disappointing. I know that in some states, for instance, where, you know, uh, marijuana is legal, you know, it was like the dispensaries and liquor stores were essential. But anything recovery-related, like 12-step meetings and stuff like that, were closed. You know, and it's just, I mean, gosh, it's just, uh, it's almost like the perfect, perfect storm for people that are, that are still out there and, and suffering, uh, you know, uh, with any kind of alcoholism or addiction um, issues or, or anything even more than that. I mean, you know, the fact is, is that normal people are struggling uh, with mental, you know, isolation and mental health issues. Like, of course, uh, you know, especially people, you know, I, I'll just tell you, like, and I think we're going to talk about this here in a minute with what you guys have been doing with, uh, you know, some virtual events. Um, but, you know, I've been on a lot of Zoom meetings, for instance, lately, like a lot of us have. And what I hear is, is pe the people that are having a tough time, like, I guess I was thinking at first, it would just be like, you know, people that aren't, haven't found recovery yet, people that are new to recovery, but it's really, I mean, I've just heard across the board, it's people that are not in recovery yet. It's people that are new. It's people that have been, you know, sober for 20 years. Uh, you know, it, it's everyone. So, I mean, we really do have to make sure right now that we're, that we're using these tools that we've been giving for the, the people that have them, you know, and um, yeah. So, so I want to ask you about those uh, virtual events that, that you guys have been doing, like how have you restructured Sandsbar in, in response to all of this? Um, so I, I, when this started, I did not want to have any kind of online virtual anything. I just, I didn't, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I, I suck at technology. Like, I don't know what, how I, how I, you know, got to be a 60 year old man, like in the last six months, but apparently I just can't do technology anymore. Shout out to all the 60 year old plus adults who can do technology. <laughs> that's, that's not me. Um, yeah, I just, uh, man, I did not want to do it, but the more I realized that there was still a need out there, the more I, and the more I got over, frankly, my own hurt over not being able to go out on the road I mean, we had a 15-city tour plan this year, man. We had we had hit six cities in the United States. We were we were going, man. I had three. I had Chicago, New Orleans, and Houston planned. I was so excited to do like my homecoming tour in Houston, uh, and it just it it sucked, man. It, it hurt a lot to to leave those plans on the back burner for now. But I'm really proud of what we've created in the digital form because I feel like it really creates that feeling of being somewhere else, especially when you're stuck at home. I think it's important to create, you know, a, a different way of being, right? It, it, no matter what it looks like. And I think that's the other reason why we're drinking a lot more too at home is that people miss celebration. And I think that when you take out celebration from someone's life, they're looking to celebrate any way that they can. So every time they finish work, it's time to pour a drink because that's how they celebrate. That's how they are marking time in quarantine. So 
for sober people, we want to create celebration. We want to create fun, and that's what these events have been about. Uh, so the series that we're doing online is called Sands Bar, Where You Are. And uh, it was an idea I actually had two years ago when I, when I was getting started with this kind of national tour stuff. Uh, it was the idea that you could have this experience that I created in Austin wherever you are. And little did I know we were going to be in a pandemic <laughs> and everyone's going to be stuck at home. So it's going to be literally where you are. Uh, and yeah, we, we host these meetings on Facebook uh, or these, these gatherings on Facebook. Some I've done some private kind of mocktail classes on Zoom. And the idea is that we just take our day and we just break it up with something fun and interesting. And sometimes that's making a drink together. Sometimes that's just talking. But uh, the first Sea Inspired Where You Are event included all these sober influencers, um, had some live music from sober people, had me making drinks, and it was a success. And people really liked it. And then you could get these little kits sent to your home. And these kits had everything you needed to, to make the drink and make it a special night. And so uh, we're just really excited about those, those kind of events that we'll be offering, even when I think life returns to normal. We'll still have those opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I no, and I, I hear you, man. I mean, some people, um, I, I still, like in some of these meetings I've been in, like I still hear people saying, like, I did not think I was going to like doing anything online through Zoom, not cool with technology. Um, but again, like this is where we are. And I, I think we're either going to, especially again, for people in recovery, like we we're either going to adapt and, and figure this out. And I love how you're describing that, like figure out a way to celebrate life or, or, or not. And, and I don't want to know what the, or not part looks like, you know, because I have a pretty good idea of, uh, of where that mm. would take me. So um, so that's pretty awesome, man. So it sounds like, uh, again, you're, you're recreating this community that, that you created at Sands Bar online. So I just want to ask, kind of looking ahead here, do you see, uh, you know, things getting rolling again in terms of the, uh, the nationwide tour or what's kind of the, the rough plan there, do you think? Yeah, so the rough plan is to continue doing the online events. So in June, June 19th, actually, we'll do Sands Bar Where You Are. And uh, it's going to be a pride celebration. So we're going to, you know, have these great pride celebration kids. We're going to have drag queen uh, karaoke. We're going to have uh, some of the biggest, you know, leaders and movers and shakers in the LGBTQ plus community on a panel uh, it's going to be a night where you can make a drink with us and have fun with us. And again, it's about feeling that you're at a pride celebration, but you're not, right? This is bringing the experience to you with some top, top notch level people. And it's absolutely free to attend um, because we don't want to ever create that, that block between people having access to this event. So completely free event. And then going forward, I think the plan is going to be to look at opening Sands Bar Austin and at a limited capacity uh, mid-June. And then I think, and this is just me kind of just thinking, is that from July to maybe October, you know, September, October, you're going to have maybe two or three months where things are going to look 
normal. It's and, and in that time, I think we're going to probably end up doing a reduced tour. Uh, so instead of hitting some of the smaller markets, which I was really excited about, I think we're going to stick to the big markets. You know, hit up your Chicago, Boston, uh, L.A. Um, Don't forget maybe, Houston. Maybe. Don't forget oh, Houston. No. No, Houston is happening, man. Oh, I had the perfect <laughs> venue, man. It was right downtown. Uh, I was so excited about Houston because it was, I was going to break it up into two nights or the same night, but two. Um, one was just like, if you know Chris, he went on a like, party with Chris. And then it was going to be like the, the Sands Bar event. If you're, you know, new to the Sands Bar concept, I was going to have a, man, it was, we're going to do it. And so those are the two, you know, two or three cities that I think we're end up, you're going to end up being at. Definitely New York, but I gotta go to New York again. Um, it'll be a condensed version of what we're gonna offer. And then I think by October, we'll probably see this thing kind of creep back up again or things just shutting down again. And we're always gonna follow the CDC regulations times four. Like sure. I just, I mean, as, as great as this is, and as much as I love making money being a sober bar owner and being on the road, nothing is worth anyone even feeling unsafe yeah and yeah. that is what i i most care about is that i made a commitment to myself to create a safe space and it must feel safe for everyone including myself i have to be able to, to come home and, and feel safe with my children at home so um that's kind of the plan that's awesome well man i can't wait to uh yeah i was so excited about you coming to houston and uh, us finally getting to uh, to meet, so I'll be looking forward to that. Um, and I know one of these days I'll make it up to uh, to Austin to check out the Sands Bar in in person. You know, one thing I really like to uh, you know ask all of all of our guests, and this is a a changing thing again with everything that's that's going on. And um, what what does your recovery look like today? And and what do you do to maintain and grow your sobriety would you say yeah so i just celebrated 13 years of, of sobriety in february that's awesome um oh man it was it was a very special moment because i was in albuquerque new mexico doing an event that night that wow. i celebrated my 13 years sober and these people didn't know me and they bought me a cake and they see you know, like it was really really cool um and so I am really this year focused on growth because I need to continue to expand and enlarge my spiritual territory. That, that's got to be something that I'm looking at. And I've been doing that by really digging into my spiritual practice. And I, I've always had a spiritual practice. But this time, this year, this experience, has really caused me to, to question and dig and you know like when you almost have a project done and you just like nah I don't want like I've, I've basically done that I basically kind of pulled it apart and said okay how can I build up piece by piece in prayer meditation um, connection with others connection with my wife and my, my, my children and each of these domains in my life how can I make these fit in a better way you know, how can I spend more time with, you know, the, the relate with, with the universe and the way that I experience, you know, a higher power. I've really spent a lot of time this year doing that. And, and it's been difficult. It's been challenging, but that's really how I do it. And then I, then I, 
I, I lived that through going to virtual meetings and connecting with my, my sponsor and talking to uh, men in recovery. And I've re really, again, this year been focusing on connecting with men of integrity mm. uh, because that is such a thing that has been an issue for me in recovery where I just don't find that many men of integrity. Um, I, have, I hear a lot of men talking about it, and uh, but I haven't been to a men's, like a strictly men's meeting in a very long time in Austin because I just got so disgusted about the way that men were talking when women weren't present. Um, and, and I just really have struggled with that. And so that's something I've been working with, um, finding a group of men here in Austin who are really about it all the time who really walk the walk and talk the talk and aren't just saying it because it's convenient um, or because it's, it's that kind of false humility. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's been quite a journey, even in this, this time of quarantine, it's been an incredible experience. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I, I know one thing for me personally, and, and I've heard a lot of people talking about is just this idea of, and this, I think this is something we should always be doing because this is really where it all started, but getting back to basics, you know, and, and really because, uh, you know, for instance, let's see, two weeks ago or 15 days ago now, I celebrated seven years and, you know, it's, yeah, you know, and it's, um, it, it's, it's amazing. Like we have all these gifts in our life now, right. And, and all these things that, that we got because of of the basic things that we were doing initially and i think that sometimes you know uh a a good or bad issue may come up in my life and i try to like reinvent the wheel and i i think that i need to do something different now because i have seven years sober and life's different but no the truth is it's like the basic stuff works you know and and so i know for me it's been it's been really important for me Absolutely. to hear yeah, for me to hear other people say that too, and, and say a lot of the things that you're saying, I think that um, right now for me as well, uh, you know, I haven't been doing as much as I'd like in all honesty, but, you know, just really connecting uh, spiritually because, man, like, you know, most of us even, even still now with some stuff opening up, like we've got the time, you know, not to say I'm not busy, but we all have some extra time on our hands. And, uh, and I don't think we can go wrong with, you know, working on our, our spiritual life a little bit. So I, I want to ask before we wrap up, Chris, if there is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation. Yeah. Um, I encourage everyone to, yes, keep it simple. Uh, the basics and, the, and the, the, the fundamentals of recovery will always be the fundamentals. Those are never going to change. And those things that you did in those very first days of um, your, your kind of lifestyle change or sobriety matter more than anything. And I think that's, that's all you ever do is just refine those things. I heard someone say, you know, at 13 years, I don't have any sobriety, more sobriety than someone with 13 days. I just pick up the tools faster, right? They're the same tools. I just pick them up faster. Um, but if I had a piece of advice to give to anyone listening, I would say, I would challenge them to look for ways to celebrate what is going right in their lives. 
I really am starting to hone in on this kind of personal philosophy that celebration is more important than we think it is. Um, it is necessary. Yes, you get a little hit of dopamine every time you get a little, little chip in a meeting. But what if we subdivided that, right? If, what if we looked at all the different ways we can celebrate the smallest things and the smallest wins and the smallest victories? And, and it's just something that I've really been thinking about lately is how often do I celebrate? Because celebration is really gratitude ex, you know, outwardly, right? It's the outward expression of gratitude. And gratitude, we already know, is, very, is a very powerful thing. So I don't know, man. I've just been really meditating on this idea that gratitude and celebration are so important. And we don't talk enough about it in the rooms, definitely. Because we think celebration and party, and those aren't the same things. Right. So I would really, you know encourage you especially in in this time if you're still at home or if you have to return to you know back to a quarantine existence to find ways to celebrate things large and small because celebration is gratitude expressed outwardly you know it is the outward expression of an inner gratitude so um yeah that's it man that's awesome chris that's really great advice and, and i love how you said big and small, because I think that, uh, you know, if anyone out there listening is anything like me, I think I tend to kind of brush off some of the uh, wins, if you will, that I have in my life that might be little things. And, you know, I kind of crap on them. And I just say like, Oh, that's not, you know, that's I could do better, you know, that's not that big of a deal. But I think it is important that we figure out, again, I really love how you're describing this a way to to celebrate that. And um, that's just awesome, awesome advice. And I'm, I'm so glad that you could be here uh, with us today. So you can learn more about Sandsbar and their virtual events by visiting the sandsbar.com. Thanks again for coming on the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.